0: Welcome back Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast and this is week number 27. This week we'll continue our work through the Psalms and today we're going to start back up at Psalm 91. So Psalm 91 reminds us that men generally seek out a variety of hiding places. But in reality, the only safe place we can find is in the shelter of the Most High. And it's when we seek out His protection that we find rest. You know, some might be tempted to look at this psalm and say that God has not honored these promises completely. Righteous men have perished at the hands of their enemies. And I think, you know, in my mind, I think of the five missionaries that perished at the hands of the Aka Indians. You know, the story of Jim Elliot. This does not mean that God is not faithful. It simply means that we need to look beyond the grave God will grant ultimate deliverance to his own even if he allows them to suffer and die at the hands of the enemies in this life even those who die young have eternal life Psalm 92 is a song of thanksgiving that was to accompany a sabbath celebration the reflection on God's good acts of his righteous character give us optimism as we go through life no matter how old we grow we ought to continue growing in the lord the imagery of the palm tree as describing the godly is important here palm trees have roots that grow Uh, or that go deep and draw water even in those desert areas. They can survive when other trees around them are dying. They take a lot of abuse from storms, and the wind that breaks other trees just simply bends the palm tree. In the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty, the palm tree continues to produce fruit. I can't think of a better picture of a godly person than being compared to a palm tree. Psalm 93 is an enthronement psalm that depicts the righteous rule of God on earth. It focuses on God's rule over his people, but also points to the future reign of Jesus during that millennial kingdom. Psalm 94 proclaims to us to have faith in the justice of God. You know, it's hard to have faith in God's justice when you take a look at the world around you. I feel like crying with the psalmist when he says, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? You know, this psalm is a timely one because it reminds us that it's not our job to take vengeance, but to wait for God to take it in his own time and his own way. Passages like Deuteronomy 32, 35 and Romans 12, 19 teach us that. What we can do in the present is take the matter to God in prayer. Have you noticed a theme yet in many of the psalms when there is a problem that the psalmist is complaining about? He takes the matter to God in prayer and leaves it there. He takes it to someone who can deal with it correctly. He doesn't try to solve the problem in his own way. He chooses the better way, which is God's way. Psalm 95 is another enthronement psalm. We find that Israel had been a wayward flock in the past, and this led to The psalmist to warn the people to avoid the sins that had resulted in the wilderness wanderings. The writer of Hebrews actually quotes verses 7 through 11 of this psalm when he was urging Christians to believe God and move ahead in faith. Not obtaining rest for the Christian means failing to enter into all the blessings that could be ours if we faithfully trusted and obeyed God. Think of all the additional blessings that could be yours if we did better each day with our obedience and our trusting. Psalm 96 is another psalm that focuses on the reign of God. The psalmist calls all earth to join Israel in honoring and rejoicing in God's sovereign rule. All creation is to praise God. Verse 13 is a great verse, one that you might circle, as it's very clear that God will rule the earth, not just from heaven, in the future. Psalm 97 is a simple reminder that the Lord is king and he reigns. Those are essential words of comfort for every believer in every age. In the midst of all the confusion and chaos that we live in and with each and every day, we can always go back to the simple and powerful truth that God reigns. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing is beyond him or out of his control. We should be praising God each day that he is Lord and that he reigns. Now, Psalm 98 reminds us that even though when Christ returns, he will rule with a rod of iron, his coming to rule will be a good thing for humanity. We should view the Lord's coming to earth to reign as a blessing rather than something that we should fear. You know, the unbelievers might fear because of the judgment that will come with Christ, but we as believers should not fear his coming. In fact, I would say that most believers are looking forward to and desiring for his coming each day. Psalm 99 is about the holiness of the king. We are called on to praise God because he is holy and because he answers prayer. We might suppose that a holy God would not tolerate the sin of any king, but our God tempers his holiness with mercy. Even though the Israelites sinned again and again and again and again, even though we sin again and again and again and again, God still answers the prayers of their intercessors, people like Moses, Aaron, Samuel, etc. But even today, He answers our prayers, any believer. However, God was not so merciful that He failed to discipline sinners. This is a balanced view here, and this balanced view of God gives us a better understanding of Him. The prospect of God ruling over sinful humanity in the future might be a terrifying one. But God will deal with his people as he's always done, extending mercy without compromising his holiness. Psalm 100 is a psalm that I memorized in grade school. It's five verses teach how to be thankful and how to serve him with gladness. Too many people serve God without gladness. They view it as a duty instead of a delight. This means that more and more people need to praise God for what he has done for them, and then they will start to serve him with gladness in their heart. Psalm 101 is a psalm... um, Of David, wherein he is making resolutions about his rule as king, how he will live, what company he will keep, etc., etc. You know, David wasn't perfect, but he was resolved in his heart about doing what was right. And this psalm is a good model for Christians who are thinking about God's calling of them into some type of civil or governmental service. Of course, the resolutions in the psalm are applicable to every believer. Psalm 102 is a personal lament that is poured out to God. The psalmist feels overwhelmed due to an enemy. He is quite descriptive of how it made him feel. He lost many good days to suffering. His sorrow made his bones ache. He felt withered under the heat of his affliction. His emotional state was affecting his physical condition. He felt like a lonely pelican in the wilderness or as an isolated owl. His enemies had ridiculed him and he believed his life was coming to an end. Now, verses 25 through 27 of this psalm are quoted in the New Testament by the writer of Hebrews who used them of Jesus. Jesus is the person of the Trinity who created all things and sustains all things. The knowledge of God's changeless character can be a great comfort when God's people suffer. It helps to view personal suffering sometimes in light of eternity. Psalm 103 is a popular psalm that David wrote. It reviews God's mercies and expresses confidence in God's promises. Verse 10 is particularly powerful as it reminds us how merciful God is to us because he does not punish us for all of our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us even though we deserve it. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, did you ever wonder why the psalmist chose east and west versus north and south? Well, if you think about it, you can eventually reach north by means of the North Pole and south by means of the South Pole as well. But east to west don't have a ending point. They're, they are infinite and endless. And the remarkable thing here is that even though we are frail beings, even though we are dust and our days are short, God's love for us is endless. It lasts all eternity. Reflect on that today. Psalm 104 celebrates God as creator. And this psalm actually serves as of as a uh, theological commentary, I guess you might say, on Genesis chapter 1 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2. See, the first 28 verses speaks of God's creative works, but then you get to verse 29 of this psalm, and it reminds us that if he were to take away from his creation, if, if God were to move away from it and let it fall, it would all turn to dust. And such a demonstration of sheer power and goodness in nature causes the psalmist to shout out with praise to God who brought it all to pass. Now let me draw your attention to the last verse of this psalm, verse 35. The last phrase says, praise the Lord. And that is rendered in the Hebrew language as hallelujah a term of praise that many of you are familiar with. And from this Psalm 104 to the end of the Psalm, the word hallelujah is used some 23 times. Whereas in the New Testament, the only time we find the word hallelujah is used in Revelation 19 and every occurrence is to the second coming of Christ. Hallelujah is a verbal praise. It means a shouting praise. Now Psalm 105 reviews Israel's history from Abraham to the wilderness wanderings. This psalm praises God for his faithful dealings with his people. A key word that you find in this psalm is the word remember. And by remembering how faithful God has been to their ancestors, the Israelites would remember to praise him. Remembering what God has done for us, we too can praise him in our current situation even though it might seem bleak in our own eyes. Psalm 104 is the other side of the coin. It recounts Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Verses 6 through verse 46 of this psalm are a record of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. The record is not chronological by any means. It's just designed to show... Uh, the highlights, the ones that the psalmist deemed as most important to prove his point. The record of unfaithfulness seems to end during the days of the judges as far as the psalmist concerns. And even in these distressing days when the people cried out to God, he still heard their cries and raised up a deliverer. The psalm is yet another reminder that God is faithful to his people even though his people have not been faithful to him. Hopefully we can learn from the mistakes of the Israelites and not repeat them ourselves. Psalm 107 begins like others before it, calling for the believer to praise the Lord because of his wondrous works of the past. You know, in whatever situation the people of the Lord found themselves in, they could always cry out to the Lord for help. If you desire for your prayer life and praise life to be strengthened, then this psalm encourages you to reflect more on the wonderful works of God, both on your behalf, as well as his wonderful works in redemption through the Son. And when you think about redemption through Christ, there's no reason why you can't sing with praise. Psalm 108 is interesting because David combined portions of two other psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 60, to make up or to compose this present psalm. Now, why he did that in this new context of Psalm 108 is not clear. Those who are steadfast in the faith may be confident that God's faithful love will deliver them from the adversary. It's kind of what the psalm is talking about. This is done so the Lord will be exalted over all the earth. If you want more understanding of this psalm, Psalm 108, go back and listen to what we talked about when we got to Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. Now, Psalm 109 has some very strong language that David utters towards his enemies. Some believers are troubled by David's words because it seems so uncharacteristic and, I guess you might say, so ungodly of him to pray in such a fashion. In situations of extreme dangers and malicious attacks by people who hate the righteous, it is natural for a righteous person to pray that the Lord would vindicate them, that the Lord would avenge their suffering in this present life. However, at the same time, the prayers of the righteous should be for the salvation of evil people, all people, we should say, as Christ did from the suffering and shame of the cross. Our desire might be for the Lord to avenge us on this side of heaven from our enemies, but from the other side of our mouth, we should be praying that the Lord would save our enemies for eternal, from eternal punishment in hell. I know it still hurts to be persecuted and maliciously attacked by the enemy, but maybe now we can get a sense of what Jesus felt like during his earthly ministry. Psalm 110 takes the title for the most frequently cited psalm in the entire New Testament. This psalm is a prophecy of the coming victory of the Messiah over the world. It declared that he has been exalted to God's right hand, that he will establish his dominion over the world, putting down his enemies with one final and fatal blow. But he will be much more than a king. He will be a high priest as well, so that his followers will be sanctified and prepared to worship and serve him. You know, In Israel, there could be only one order of the high priest, and that was from the order of Aaron, who was from the tribe of Levi. The Davidic kings, or the kings from David's line, came from the line of Judah. This would be Christ. And so the only way that a descendant of David could become the official priest was for the order of Aaron to come to an end. And that's exactly what happens at the death of Christ on the cross. The saints now have a new high priest, a new king, one who comes from the line of Melchizedek, not from the line of Aaron. Christ came from the line of Judah, Not Levi, remember. Therefore, the priesthood of Christ would be different than Aaron's. And this is the main argument for the Melchizedek priesthood that is discussed at length in the book of Hebrews. And this is the second reference to Melchizedek that we've come across, uh, the larger references in Hebrews. And again, we're going to wait until we get to Hebrews and we will collect all three passages about Melchizedek and deal with him. Better, I guess we might say at that point. The good news is that Jesus is not just our king, but he is also our high priest who makes intercession for us continually to the Father. Now Psalm 111 is one of many acrostic psalms, and we've already come across some of them. Uh, I didn't mention them at this point, like Psalm 9, 10, 25, 34, 37, 112, 119, 145. These are acrostic psalms. Uh, and you've already read a few of them, but let me explain the reason why we call them acrostic psalms, because each line in the Hebrew text of the psalm begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Therefore, each psalm should have 22 lines, because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. This was likely done so that uh, a person could easily memorize a psalm and recite it easily. God's people should commit to memory the great characteristics and works of God, so they will remember to trust and obey him. Psalm 111 is, Psalm 112 is also an acrostic psalm with an emphasis on the godly man. He lives in a way that reflects God's presence in his life. He is gracious and just, meeting the needs of others. He's confident despite the trials of life. He knows that God uh, remembers him. He's not fearful. He trusts in the Lord. He is victorious over his foes. He is a charitable person and persistent in righteousness. He's honored by the Lord. You know, what a great psalm demonstrates the character of a godly man. That's Psalm 112. Psalms 113 through 118 are called Hallel Psalms. Hallel is the imperative singular of the word hallelujah. And this collection of Psalms was sung by the Jews at the three yearly feasts that all males had to attend. The Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They also used these Psalms on other holy days. At Passover, it was customary to sing uh, Psalm 113 and 114 before the meal, and 115 through 118 after the meal. And they also sang Psalm 136 at the climax point of the meal. So let's talk about Psalm 113. Psalm 113 calls on God's servants to praise him because even though he occupies an exalted position, he has humbled himself to lift up the lowly. It reminds me of what the New Testament counterpart to this psalm might be and in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 where Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And this psalm seems to express thoughts similar to Hannah's prayer in First Samuel 2 or Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. The Lord is worthy of praise because he graciously gives blessings to those who have no hope of obtaining them from any other source. Now Psalm 114 recalls the work of the Lord in delivering the people from Egyptian bondage. It was sung on the eighth day of Passover week, and it poetically summarizes the miracles that aided the people in their journey to the promised land. Psalm 115 is an anonymous psalm that instructs God's people to trust in the Lord rather than idols. Evidently, the pagan nations were ridiculing God for his inactivity. This psalm has two specific historical uses of it. Interesting uh, the first verse of it, the Christian statesman William Wilberforce marked the passing of the bill of, to abolish slave trade in England by meditating on verse 1, so that's an interesting thing. <laughs> also, uh, at the Battle of Agincourt, excuse me, Henry V of Britain defeated the French army in a major victory, and after the battle, Henry commanded his soldiers to kneel and sing Psalm 115, and thanks to the Lord. You know, sometimes you never know how and when a psalm will be used in a great historical context. Uh, Thankfully, those historical records are preserved so we can find them. Now, Psalm 116 is written by an unnamed writer who gave thanks to God for delivering him from imminent death and lengthening his life. You know, death is an enemy, therefore, when God continues our life... I guess we might say he's saving us from an enemy. And the continuation of life is something that we should never take for granted. God could take the life of any person at any time and be perfectly righteous and just since we are all sinners and deserve death. However, he graciously extends life, and for this we should be giving thanks. When we wake up in the morning, we should be thankful we have another day because we are not promised tomorrow. Now Psalm 117 is the shortest of all the Psalms. This brief hymn is an appeal to the nations to recognize Yahweh as God and to praise him forever. So that's simple. (laughs) Psalm 118 describes a celebratory process to the temple to praise and sacrifice to the Lord. The psalmist describes the obstacles that a person must overcome as he or she makes a pilgrimage uh, towards the temple. But God is always faithful to those who seek him and will assist them in this pursuit. Verse 26 of this psalm was used by the crowds who welcomed Jesus at his triumphal entry during the Passover season. Now, did you catch that? It's Passover season. the crowd um, The crowds are reciting a Passover psalm and attributing that very psalm to Jesus. They believe that he is the final Passover lamb. They believe that he was the promised Messiah. After Jesus entered Jerusalem at his triumphal entry, guess what? Jesus quotes from this same psalm. This time he quotes verse 22 about the cornerstone. And Jesus' application of the stone reference to himself after he entered Jerusalem at his triumphal entry was a clear claim to being the Messiah. He knew it. The people knew it as well. However, while the psalm teaches us as teaches us much about the Messiah, its primary significance for an Israelite was for glorifying God as he provided deliverance for them. Obviously, the people who were in the streets of Jerusalem knew that he was coming to deliver them. All right, time to get to the biggie, the doozy here, Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and I divided it up four. Uh, in your reading for this week and next week, but I'm going to go ahead and talk through it this week. Psalm 119 is the greatest of all the acrostic psalms because each acrostic is eight verses long. That's crazy, isn't it? And each of those verses begin with the same Hebrew alphabet letter. And throughout this psalm, there are several different words used for the law. The law, the word, decision, judgment, testimony, command, statute, precept, saying, all these synonyms for law point us to the theme of the psalm, which is God's law, which is the Torah. And for the Israelite, the revelation of God from the law was and is the basis for everything they did. Just like us today, the scriptures are the basis for everything we do. And this also shows us how the word of God is the application for all of life's circumstances and for all of life's problems. And the main flow of the psalm is the strength that the psalmist finds as he meditates on the word of the Lord. The word is his comfort, his prized possession, his rule for life, his resource for strength, his message of hope. All of these things inspire him to to desire God's word more, to live by it better, and to pray according to it more often. So the first stanza, verses 1 through 8, is about praising God for his protective care. The second stanza verses 9 through 16 teaches us to keep our lives pure by avoiding sin. The third stanza verses 17 through 25 stresses the importance of God's word in difficult in difficulties and stresses of the world. The fourth stanza verses 26 through 32 contains the desire of the psalmist to be taught more of God's truth. The fifth stanza, verses 33 to 40, reminds us that the more we focus on the ways of God, the more we will suffer the reproach of the world. The sixth stanza, verses 41 through 48, reminds us of our duty to proclaim God's word to the world. Stanza 7, verses 49 through 56, reminds us that in spite of scorn and affliction, the word of the Lord is our comfort, our hope, and our joy. Stanza 8 verses 57 through 64 reminds us that even though the world is bleak and the wicked are besieging believers at every turn, we will still praise the Lord. Stanza 9 verses 65 through 72 reminds us that God is good and everything that he does for us is good, even though we might not think it is. Stanza 10, which is verses 73 through 73 through 80, reminds us that God created us with a purpose, and that purpose is that we might understand and obey his commands. Stanza 11, verses 81 to 88, reminds us that wicked may be the wicked may be oppressing us and persecuting us, but we must persevere, and we must remain faithful to the word of God. Stanza 12, verses 89 through 96, reflects on the eternality of God, the immutability, the unchangeableness of him, the comprehensiveness of God's word. Stanza 13 verses 97 through 104 reminds us that true knowledge and wisdom comes from the knowledge and study of God's word. Stanza 14, which is verses 105 through 112 tells us that God's word is the light for our path in the world, just like Jesus is the light of the world. Stanza 15, which is verses 113 through 120, demonstrates that those who love the Lord completely become more aware of those who have a double-minded spirit about their faith. Stanza 16, verses 121 through 128, a reminder concerning prayer. People who pray um, uh, for God to act on their behalf must demonstrate their loyalty to Him by their obedience to His word. Stanza 17, which is verses 129 through 136, speaks about the appreciation we ought to have for God's Word, especially in a world where so many don't appreciate its value. Stanza 18, which is verses 137 to 144, stresses the integrity and reliability of God's Word. Stanza 19, which is verses 145 through 152, speaks about the comfort of the Lord's presence that is near. Today, while the Holy Spirit indwells believers, and He is therefore constantly near to us. Stanza 20, which is verses 154 to 160, calls for God to vindicate and deliver the psalmist from oppression because he loves and keeps God's word. Stanza 21, which is verses 161 to 167, reminds us to rejoice in the word of God because it brings peace to those who trust it and to those who obey it. And the last stanza, stanza 22, which is verses 169 to 176, finds the psalmist confessing that he has gone astray like a sheep and he calls for God to deliver him according to his word so that he might praise and sing to God. All right, that's it. That's the end of Psalm 119. And so you can see how the focus of this Psalm is on the value of God's word in everything that we do. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. Email any questions to BibleReading at lmbc.org and I will talk with you all next week.